Uh, welcome everyone to Faded Mates. <laughs> I'm Sarah McLean, and I'm here with my partner, Jen Reed's Romance, my Faded Mate. <laughs> I was like, this was going to be the time that I was like, Jennifer Prokop. I have a real name. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't sorry. just check into the dentist's office as Jen Reed's Romance, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> why not? I mean, I don't know, you should be obviously. promoting. You should be promoting the podcast a little better, frankly. (laughs) Um, And that delightful laugh is coming from one of our very favorite people. Uh, Sierra Simone is with us today. Hello. From Sierra Simone, live from Neck RWA, which is, where are you? I'm in uh, Boston town. I'm in Boston. That's great. <laughs> it is Are you enjoying? Are you enjoying your time? So, um, I, what's all happening? I have, there? All I have seen of Boston. Man on the street. <laughs> I have not seen Chris Evans here, um, although I've heard that there <laughs> Leave is a Chris Evans in Boston. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent less. Chris, have well, you been there with Andy, Andy Christopher? Christopher? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she was like, "We got to go into Boston. We got to find him." Isn't he promoting? Yeah, he's. There's a real big movie out right now. Yes, there is with the superheroes. So it's Endgame weekend. He's for sure somewhere better than Boston. We love you, Boston. I actually really do love you, Boston. I am from Rhode Island, so go Pats. Yeah. So there's been no Chris Evans, but lots of lobster and lots oh, of great friends yeah. at the yeah. So young, nice. Um, so it's been a good conference. And you did your uh, taboo romance discussion today. Yes. So um, I did a presentation on the art of taboo. So um, if you guys uh, don't know me, I write erotic romance. Oh, we Um, probably should have (laughs) done. That's okay. (laughs) Um, I'm happy to talk about my dirty books. You talk about yourself. (laughs) Yeah, this Um, is a good time. Like, tell us about yourself and you have a book, a pretty new book out. There there we go. Um, So, yeah, I write erotic romance. um, And some of those erotic romances deal with taboo elements. And uh, so, NEC RWA invited me um, to come give a workshop just on how to write taboo romance and how to do it uh, responsibly. Um, Because I think, you know, when you're writing taboo, you're, you're writing a lot of things um, that could be harmful to people. You're writing things that could potentially uh, redeem or justify injustice. Um, And that's not what we want to do. And that's not what romance is about, you know? Uh, And so the, the workshop is kind of like, how do we define the parameters of right and wrong? And how can we write ethical and moral complicated taboo romance um and so yeah the talk was great and i debuted the simone scale of tm tm TM. (laughs) you guys my great joy that i mean that might be the the highlight of my year so far is (laughs) is the simone scale uh sierra has created a magnificent, I think, XY axis graph. It's real mathy for all the words on it. I do love it, a mathy, a mathy romance thing. I love it. We're gonna put it in show notes. But we're the gonna put zero- it on Twitter. She can't stop us. She's not on Twitter. I'm not on there. I can't stop. Miss Mrs. Reed's romance. I cannot stop her. Like, you can't stop me. You can only hope to contain me. Uh, we also, when we referred to you on an earlier podcast, accidentally in show notes. I'm using the royal we here, uh, linked to a porn star site, and I was like, uh, what that felt, that felt okay, though. 
I did. On brand. It wasn't like it's the it's thematic for me. Yeah. I mean, if we'd been linking to like Debbie Maycomer and we'd gotten like (laughs) Debbie Maycomer. (laughs) Oh my god. You're gonna get sued. Oh my gosh. I feel like now at RWA, Sarah and Jen are going to host a real drunk late night session where we rename every romance writer with a real filthy fucking moniker. Oh my God, please. It was right there. I couldn't not take the swing. It was right there. So says Sarah McPean. (laughs) oh my god God. all best wishes to debbie maycomer (laughs) who is next to me on many many bookshelves across america (laughs) oh god we definitely will link to you and not do a porn star in show notes (laughs) i just feel like i'm like game over that's it i feel like we've we've done mcgreeve now (laughs) this is your episode six and a half minutes long (laughs) oh shit you guys we peaked we peaked too early (laughs) oh man oh my god oh You know what's going to be terrible is periodically through the next hour of my life, I'm just going to break out into random giggles and you'll, everyone will be like, what the hell is Jen doing? And you'll know it's because I was thinking of Debbie Mae Gomer. This was healthy. Like this was cathartic. <laughs> My pores are clean. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, good lord. Anyway, oh, um... importantly though, at the top of the y-axis <laughs> of the Sierra Simone scale is the so the x-axis is wrong. Am yes. I correct? And the uh, the y-axis is wild. Yes. And across the wild line at the very top. All the way across our Cressley Cole <laughs> moments. Yeah, because um, you can't really get wilder than Cressley. So actually, you know, at, at my graph, like the most innocent you can be is like Jane Austen characters. And then on the other side of the wrong scale is like stuff that's really wrong and not redeemable and fun at all, like genocide. Um, but then at the top of the wild scale is Cressley Cole after three pots of coffee, just like the full <laughs> Cressley. <laughs> and so the full Cressley, yeah, we have we have vivisection. We have putting your loved one on death row. Um, uh, I hope the vivisection is all the way over. On it's the right, all the right? way over on the wrong. Yeah, like sure. And then we sure. have the blowjob from a penis while you're vampire feeding from the penis. In that question. feels yeah really like not at all wrong. that's not at all wrong that's like bunnies and kittens i mean like really <laughs> i mean and, yeah like cressley needs her own scale right yeah cressley is definitely her own scale um so yeah we got to debut the scale and uh jen i really love the idea that we had talked about a little bit where you know everyone should get to make their own scale and we should have like a you know like a magnetic poetry yeah that's right <laughs> version exactly of the scale so that everyone can kind of figure out you know 
Where how they you? feel about where are you on vivisection you know yeah. <laughs> where are you sure. On vivisection? sure yeah where where are we on vivisection now i can never keep well, up it's it gonna be pretty... amazing swag it's gonna be amazing amazing be swag i'm super excited swag. about it uh yes. yeah also i think it's particularly interesting because when i was when sierra sent me the simone skill you know to proofread <laughs> there was a very strange order for menage anal <laughs> and like two p's in v <laughs> and sex in a car and i was like this is what you're super per- pervy i guess i mean no kink shaming but this is an odd listen, order listen man sex while driving is dangerous it's, it's dangerous not to safe. you and it's not safe to the other people on the road you have to think you have to share the road exactly yes. wait has there ever been sex in the car while the car is moving the person's like, driving. Oh, I'm I always, sure. Oh God, I just feel like I. Oh, I'm dared sure. Like Alexa Riley has surely written that. Yeah, no, I mean, I have definitely seen por- the pornographic materials on the interwebs that that do it. <laughs> My well, goodness, I mean, there's like all that taxi business, but somebody's paying attention to the road. The other Samar- Sierra Simone is well known for banging and moving cars. I've heard. <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> oh. Well, thank oh, you boy. guys for inviting me to talk about McGreeve. Yeah, for this, um, you know, you family know podcast. <laughs> you know what? I looked at our podcast today on iTunes, and it's just like a fucking string of E's. Like, all well, they're all E's. Fine. It's just coded E, Fine. man. And now it really is. We're talking about, we're naming porn stars. So. <laughs> I regret uh, nothing. You know what, though? Here's nothing. what I would say. I think you need to laugh. Like, right, when some, like, McGreeve is one of the hardest Immortals After Dark books to read. And so it doesn't surprise me that this podcast would be really, like, funny in a way. Not because we don't, like, know what it's doing, but because it's such a natural response to, like, something truly terrible to, like, sort of have to, like, back your way into it. I mean, and I think that that's why, like, in some ways it doesn't surprise me because McGreeve is so hard, right? That, of course, we're going to, like, need to, like, like soften ourselves up to like be able to talk about it even yeah yeah well so let's dig in so we're we're coming off Lothair here we are McCreeve is with us and it's really interesting because I think you know Jen you talk all the time um about how Cressley's constantly leveling up yeah and this book feels like she's she's leveling up in a really like new and different way do you want to talk about that or do you want me to? <laughs> Jen's like, uh. <laughs> no, you know what? I want you to because I think that as a reader, it's a little different. And I think like the writer's eye is going to be a different take on that than yeah. I think mine. So yeah. I want you two to talk about that first. So I have said many. I mean, you, everybody who listens to the podcast knows that my favorite book in the series is We Haven't Done Yet. Um, stay tuned for 20 episodes of Sweet Ruin. But the <laughs> I, I – but – as a writer, this book is one – It's it might be my favorite of the series where I can see structurally what she's doing and how she's thinking about writing um, in this series. Because what she's doing – so yes, so yesterday, last book um, with Lothair, we saw her just expand the world. And we've been seeing her – torture the whole Torture Island movement 
really was about expansion of the world, exploring, um, you know, we talked about how it was exploring not only new realms and new places where the world could could go, but also new characters. And, um, you know, I think about, uh, <laughs> I can never remember the names, uh, the demon, no, the, the vivisection, Mr. Vivisection, whatever. Dreams of a Dark Warrior. Yeah, Dreams of a Dark Warrior. Like, she packed in all those new characters and really gave us this sort of sense of the scope of personality that we were going to see. We saw that in Torture Island, and now, and then in Lothair, we started to see just the sort of massive scope of the accession, like how she was going to blow out. You know, you can see the Dacians coming, and now we're, she's talking about the Morior, kind of hinting at them coming, but suddenly... Um, Chloe and McGreeve are closed in it's a snowed in story suddenly and she shut down everything on the outside and really giving us just a pure straight shot of heroic of like a heroic arc a hero's arc I shouldn't say heroic because it's not necessarily heroic um, and it's really fascinating because we go from like this massive external for for several several books she's been doing the massive external and now we're deep into it's almost claustrophobic in that way right i I think it has to be because of the trauma yeah i mean like really what is fascinating to me and like what i like as a writer i'm really drawn to is how she creates so much tension and conflict purely between the two of them like the two of them are such a productive and destructive Uh, dynamic together like they create all the pain and all the joy it's generated between the two of them there's no uh road trip you know there's no uh uh, torture you know nothing is coming from the outside to disrupt their dynamic so everything is happening between the two of them which is hard to do yeah and you make a really good point sierra because when you when you just said there's no road trip i realized there is a road trip but we don't see it. No. She skips yes. over she it skips entirely. It. Yeah. And so, um, but I think partially that's because what we're doing here is we're seeing, and I'm I'm so glad that Sierra is our guest this week because part of what is happening here is we're seeing Cressley edge into erotic mm-hmm. in some way. Like she's mm-hmm. toying, she's sort of fooling around at the edges of erotic romance. And we know the next book she publishes is the first in the Game Maker series, which um, I know you've read, and so I'd love to hear, like, do you think that – I think of that as being an erotic romance series. Do oh, you yeah. feel that way, too? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. It, it's, it's erotic. And, I mean, we there is, like – I think we've talked before about how there's sort of the textbook definition of um, erotic being a story where if you remove the sexuality, the story actually kind of falls apart, like the sexuality is inherent. Um, but, you know, Cressley even sort of drills down even deeper – into that idea where sexuality is uh, inherent in the character. Like the character's sexuality is what the story rests on. Um, And so without McReeve's trauma, without Chloe's uh, being a succubus, like there is no conflict. Everything happens within the scope of of sexual relationship uh, for good or, or for worse. And for me, I'm like, well, that is erotic like by its nature like I mean maybe we can count how many pages of sex scenes there are sure that's one way to do it but if you think about how the stage the chessboard of the story is 
sexual. Like that is that is where we're having that's the that's where we set our scene. And what's fast, but what's also fascinating about this is so much of this book is not sexy. Yeah. Right. I mean, like it. Don't get me wrong. Like by the end, it's like plenty hot, but like vomit sex TM is <laughs> is like I feel real upset about it a lot, and so. Yeah. It's interesting because I also think like that's some interesting territory that a lot of authors might only like brush up against, but to really show like, uh, like recovery in this way, I think is really fascinating. Well, yeah. So the idea that things can be sexual without being sexy. And so this idea that like we're using uh, the sexual stage the sexual lens to accomplish work and hard work. Like yeah. it's hard work that McGreeve and Chloe have to go through. And so a lot of it isn't sexy in the traditional sense, but it still involves the body and, and the connection between the body and the heart and the mind. And, and that's where it happens. Well, and I think for McGreeve, those connections are so broken. Yes. Right. Yeah. And it's really interesting to think about it in that way. That, like, what happens to him in that those first couple chapters. And it's really interesting. I'd always assumed that they were, like, a prologue. But I don't think... Well, I guess it is. It's a prologue. I thought it was... It's really intense and long, though. You know, they don't, <laughs> they don't meet for a hundred and something pages, which Sierra pointed out to me. And it doesn't feel... I mean... God, Cressley is so good. It doesn't feel like that at all. It doesn't. And I actually think that it's really necessary for the journey they go on for us to be really grounded in them individually before, yeah, before we throw them together. And, and you know, I do think one of the things we talked about at the Taboo Workshop today was basically like, if you're going to deal with complicated, uncomfortable topics... You're not allowed to use them just for show, right? You're not allowed yeah. just to have like a, a gloss or a sprinkle of um, trauma, of pain, right? To make your character more interesting or as a plot point. Like if you're going to do it, you have to, as Damon Swade said, you have to pay the fare. You know, you have to yes. pay the toll and really drill into it and be willing to to examine what you're doing and, and what the consequences are. And so the fact that Cressley takes the time to really say, like, here is this trauma, and I'm not using it, you know, uh, willy-nilly. It's not a shortcut, like, yeah. No, it's not a shortcut, and 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 we're going to go on this journey, I think, is is necessary for, for this arc. Also, it bears pointing out that it's also kind of revolutionary for the genre at the time, right? This We're looking at a book that was published in 2013, is yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, look... The genre has made enormous strides over the last five, six years to expand in remarkable ways. We're, I'm, I, talk, I actually talked to Adriana Herrera, um, who's been on the podcast before twice um, and is a trauma specialist about McGreeve while I was reading it because I wanted to talk to her about her views of how Cressley tackles McGreeve's past trauma. And um, and I'll get to what she, you know, as we're talking about the trauma, I'll, I'll get to what she said. But one of the things that I have I've sort of been thinking about and I was talking about with Adriana is this sense of um, we're starting to see authors put 
domestic violence and trauma and sexual trauma on the page and then give those characters happily ever afters, um, which is so important, right? That's the whole point. That's the whole ballgame with romance is it's the genre of hope and everyone deserves hope. Um, but what we're seeing is I think about um, Adriana Anders's Under Her Skin, which is um, the heroine is is a trauma survivor and she's her husband has um covered he has tattooed her underneath all of her her clothes and she escapes the relationship and she goes to a place where she has to get the tattoos removed i mean these kind of really intense drama um you know traumatic experiences kennedy ryan's long shot has just been nominated for rita and there's a lot of discussion about content warnings right now and the reason why content warnings are so um, in the ether right now in Romance Landia is because we're suddenly starting to see really difficult stories on the page. Um, and what Cressley has done five years ago in Paranormal, right? We're like the yeah. alpha must be the alpha is lay out a really devastatingly traumatic story um, and deal with it. The thing that's that's like interesting to me about that is like a, a handful of things like really bubbled up, which is I think it's really interesting that in this series, it's men who have suffered traumatic sexual violence. Yeah, you've said that before. Right. We yeah. see it with Malcolm. Yeah. We see it with with McGreeve and even like Rune. Right. But but I think. It's interesting to me because I think it turns, like, the paradigm of, like, Game of Thrones on its head in some ways. But also, mm. like, my husband and I had a really interesting... He loves Game of Thrones. And we had this really interesting conversation about, like, romance versus Game of Thrones. And 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 I, and I what I was saying is, like, it's, it was, it's fascinating to me because I, I wouldn't read this book if it had been a girl. It, if it had been a young girl... With that vivid, I would have stopped right away. And that there's a way in which I was able to like distance myself from his trauma because of my gender identity and because of right. his gender identity. Right. Um, so I am pretty open about this, but I um, had some sexual assault in my childhood. And I actually, um, I found McGreeve's story so powerful to read because he was so angry and men are allowed to be angry. And so for me, it was like really cathartic to read anger, like anger yeah. in that space. Um, because I think as, as women, we're not allowed, you're not allowed to be angry about anything, but sexual assault is something that's really still something we kind of sweep under, you know, like it's yeah, not we hide it. we hide it and we're, we're kind of trained to, to hide it. And so for him to be a man who experienced it, n number one, it gave me like a layer of comfort, I guess. So like if it was a girl who had undergone childhood sexual assault, I think that would have been really hard for me to read. So like that gave me the comfort. Um, but then also his response to it, like it was something I needed to read. Not every uh, person who's experienced sexual assault would probably find comfort in that anger. But for me personally, it worked for me. Like I, I, empathize so much with the with the trauma and how he responded to it and yeah and I think that you know Sarah you mentioned like he's so broken like so we were talking earlier about the sex and how um you know sexuality 
should be wholeness, right? There should be a wholeness and a synchronicity between your heart and your mind and your body. And he doesn't have that. He's broken. And I think what's interesting is that he's a werewolf. And of all the species, the werewolves mm. are supposed to be like almost the most synchronous between like the flesh and the and the body. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great point. No, and you're right. And and one of the things that um that Adriana was saying to me was that she was struck by how dysregulated uh, Monroe was. I'm sorry, not Monroe. How dysregulated McGreeve was during sex. And so the idea that he might have no control of his emotions in in the sexual experience really tracks to to the trauma, uh, to sexual trauma. Um, and he makes it, in a lot of sense um to, to Adriana and then the other thing that she said and I know that Jen wants to talk about vomit sex because it is real problematic right um uh is that vomit sex makes perfect sense for McGreeve and which makes which of course of course it does because of his past but boy it is real tough it's real tough to sympathize with him when he walks away from from Chloe that first time yeah and that's the thing I I found really just like so compelling about this story is because he I, I found myself really thinking like um about how much like faded mates is really like a patriarchal idea in this book. And that it really plays out in this way where he's like, here's who you are. And he's dead fucking wrong about it. <laughs> Yeah, right and here's who you are you're just a rapist you're just gonna like use your powers and you're gonna you'd be love getting you know like ganged by all these immortals and and how such an asshole he's such an asshole but that part yeah it was terrible right that like you know the vomit sex i understand but all this other stuff too right and i think that that part of that was just like his belief that because they were fated the ways he would treat her would have to be forgiven. And that 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 wasn't like emotional work that he would have to do, right? Like it would just all, she'd have to forgive him at some point. She'd have to, it's his fated mate. And I right. found that like that, that he, I thought like it was a shortcut for him, right? If that makes sense, right? Like he was right. thinking, well, it's not going to matter. I'll get forgiven for this. Well, it's very old school, this book. Again, it felt the most um, like, you you know, when we a thousand years ago feels like (laughs) talked about a hunger like no other, we talked about how Lachlan and Lachlan was an old school romance hero who then evolves over the course of the book into this kind of modern hero. Um, And what was Cressley doing? What was how was Cressley playing in the margins there? Um, But I think here she makes a very clear choice about um setting McGreeve up as like canonical romance hero. Yeah. Um and and the reason why and I kept thinking about my favorite you know the the historical romance that I came to romance with is Jude Devereux's The Black Lion which begins very similarly to this. There's this <laughs> there's a very there's like a dark-haired, dark-eyed, <laughs> dark knight who rides on a dark horse. I'm one clicking this book like yeah. already. His name is, I'm like fine. He's known across <laughs> medieval England as the Black Lion. You don't say. And he <laughs> And he turns, you guys, I read this book once a year without fail. It's so 
bananas. But anyway, um, and he turns up at this keep and the owner of the keep, because he's, you know, the king's favored knight, has to put him up in the keep and like feed him and bathe him. And there's like this beautiful, of course, 18 year old, of course, like, golden hair. Does she have violet eyes? Violet eyed. <laughs> you know, Lionine is her name. So fated name is destiny. Right. And they are. <laughs> and of course, he can span her <laughs> tiny waist with his big hands and touch his fingers to each other because she's so little. And um, I bet her fall... tits are still amazing, though, right? Like, Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, And she wears medieval, like, dresses, which don't have corsetry underneath. Like, she's just naturally, like, a perfect hourglass. Anyway, it doesn't – that's all irrelevant to this. The point is <laughs> that this book – is you know it's Dever one of Je- it's Devereux's sort of seminal Montgomery text, and what's interesting about it is that the first probably third of the book they're in love, yeah right like he is a magnificent he's it's pure unadulterated courtship just like what happens when McGreeve and Chloe meet for the first time, and this is I think a real conscious choice on Cressley's part to say like look at him be a good guy yeah Yeah. look at how wonderful he is because we know from the past that werewolves are the best right mates like they're they're deeply devoted from the very moment that they meet their that they sent their fate to meet right and so he there he is like perfect in every way and you think and chloe thinks well i've lost my dad and the whole world is upended and everything i thought was true is false but this guy's pretty great. Well, and, then and if they would not have feels... had that. Sorry, go ahead. You go ahead. No, and then there is a, a kind of betrayal. And yeah. just like in those old school romances, the betrayal is not a real betrayal. It's perceived It's betrayal, perceived, right, right. On the part of the asshole <laughs> old school hero who then in those old school books doesn't really have to change. Like, he just has to temper. Yeah. But McGreeve has to change. What Cressley is saying here is, like, that's all fine, but first of all, there's got to be a reason, and she's given him one that's, you know, impenetrable. And second of all, he cannot end the book the way that he started it. Well, and if we didn't have that courtship... She'd be long fucking gone. And I will admit, like, in our group text at one point, I was like, I just want her to leave. I wanted her to leave, too. Like, just go. Just go. Just go. McGreeve, but Chloe just ends up in a menage with all the incubi. Yeah, all the incubi penis healers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm into that. You know, after you get the splooge flu, you should get the dick healers. (laughs) I'm into that. Well, I so I completely agree because I think that what they have in the beginning is beautiful, but ultimately unsustainable because because even if she hadn't turned out to be a succubus, McGreeve yes. still had not dealt with absolutely. With the yes. That's- and and one of the things we talked about in our text thread was the idea of confronting trauma as as a man who's sort of grown up in a structure of toxic masculinity and like why McGreeve hasn't been able to talk to his twin brother about what happened to him, you know, why he hasn't been able, he's not able to tell Chloe until basically the end of the book, um, even though she guesses. Um, And so I really think that there's this powerful uh, vision of how, 
toxic masculinity not only hurts the people you know that that it touches, but it hurts men too, um, and and patriarchy as well. Like McReeve is suffering um, because he's carrying this burden of 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 stoicism and strength that he feels like he has to have. You know what's interesting about that that like one of the most moving parts of the book is when he tells his story to her. And I compared it a lot in my mind to the many scenes in the previous 10 books of the series where uh, there's a shortcut to her memories for the hero when like it's blood drinking, right? I'm going to just magically like upload your memories and then I'm going to know what a dick I was. And it strikes me that this is like really interesting for like two reasons. One is I think it's because men wouldn't listen. And I know that's really hard for to say and come at me, bro. But it's like, I feel <laughs> like if a woman was like, here's how I felt and what happened to me and what you did to me, that like Chloe was like, women are, I know this is a very gendered statement, but that women are really trained to listen. No, I 100% like, to, agree. Right. And that, so that like men just need to like have that shortcut because maybe they couldn't really do the work the same way. But that for McReeve, he has to tell her there are no shortcuts for him. Like he has to let go of that toxic masculinity. He has to say to her, this is what happened to me. In, in, and there's no like sugarcoating it. There's no using um, like obfuscating language. It's just really raw. And that he he must do that in order to move on. But it's really pure, too, for the reader as well. You know, you've said to me in the past about this that um, it's it's so not a shortcut for him that it's not a shortcut for the reader either. It's repetition for the reader. Yeah. 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 The telling is for him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, repetition is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not a bad thing. The reader is forced, the the reader, because the reader has already seen it, the reader is preconditioned to to forgive the hero, right? right? And this is maybe a good time for us to have a conversation. I can't believe we haven't had it. We didn't have it with Declan Chase or with Lothair. We're unlikable heroes or heroes are forgiven for things that heroines are not forgiven for, right? Yep. There's a reason why yep. Sabine is a real problem for me, but like I stand Lothair forever. <laughs> right, right. Right? And right. I don't love it and I don't really want to do a whole lot of self reflection on it but the point is that um, but the the point is that in this particular case the reader's already on McGreef's side yeah right I mean you know maybe there's still some residual issues but like all he really has to do is is a you know halfway decent grovel and we're on the we're with him right um but he's not on Chloe's side it takes saying it out loud on the page to just authentically prove to the reader that he's in it and that he has changed. Right. Well, and that the first step of really like changing yourself is talking about whatever is really at the core of whatever is holding you back. I don't want to call it a problem, right? It's not that. It's just, if you really want to change, you have to really be able to like identify with honesty what it is that is, like the, you know, the lead shoes you're wearing, essentially. Like one of the things that I heard Adriana Herrera say today at NEC RWA was she talked about how um, how sometimes in stories with trauma, um, authors can be tempted to take shortcuts and use like love, true love as a way to solve 
Mm. solve is not the right word, but you know, to like abate trauma. Uh, and that, you know, that's, it's really harmful because then it kind of perpetuates this idea that you can just sort of shed all your trauma if you're having sex with the right person. And so what I like about the repetition in McGreeve is that it emphasizes like, this is a, this is going to be an ongoing journey. Like this is a journey. This is a process and it takes a long time and there's backwards movement and forwards movement, you know, like there is, it's not a straight line. Uh, and it's a, it's probably a path you're going to walk for a really long time. Um, and so right. that's what I really liked about how the, the telling emphasized that point. Well, I also think that what is happening, you know, Adriana is so brilliant and I just, I wish I could hear her talk about every book. Um, but one of the things that she, she talks, she talks about relating to, um, overcoming trauma is this idea of self-reflection and the need for self-reflection. And I've been thinking a lot about that and not only through the lens of McCreeve, but also just IAD in general, and then romance kind of writ large and romance really, the best romances really are about self-reflection. The best romances are about identity. And I think what is happening here in McGreeve is Cressley is really playing with the core of what identity in romance is. Um, and what I mean by that is when it starts off, McGreeve is, he's so distanced from himself. He's literally distanced from his wolf, right? From his... yeah. From the instinct. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, the two are so fractured from each other that it's problematic. But then we see him actually on the page just kind of um, fractured in other ways. Like he can't – every every moment of this book is about somebody's identity being questioned or changed or broken or, uh, you know, there's that moment, that wonderful moment where Nick says like the whole – the bone needs to be reset. Mm-hmm. It needs to be rebroken and because it didn't set right. Yeah. And – the whole thing is about that. And we see him early with, with Chloe or or kind of right after she becomes a succubus saying um, to her, it, like, he she's so upset by losing her scars, right? Yeah. The knee surgery, the, the, the scratches, the place where the clique took her in the side. Those are all, those are Chloe to her, right? And suddenly she's you know, more of a vixen. She's curvier. Her hair's glossier. It's longer. And she no longer, she's perfect. She's literally physically the embodiment of physical perfection. And she's so angry about it. And McGreeve has a moment with her, the same moment I might add that Lothair has with Ellie and that um, Cade has with Holly, where he's like, you're an immortal. So like, get over it. I don't know what to say. This is the best possible thing for you. Your identity is ours is is you know now it's it's immortal yeah so it's changed i think the difference is that what i find is um cade was like sort of sympathetic to what holly was going through lothair of course was not but all of the threats to ellie were like paranormal right the way that mcreeve hurts chloe is so human It's It's brutal. Right? It's so human. And it's about her, like, not recognizing this identity he's foisted upon her. Right? You're essentially, right, like a slut. And you're just, like, going to use your wiles. And there's no way around it. And, you know, like, you're a rapist. But of course. Of course he can't understand it. Yeah. Because he hates himself. Right? Like, his shame is physical. It's, I mean, every, everything about, like, um, 
his pleasure is is physical and that pleasure is his shame. And so like of course he can't understand why she would feel this way. He's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but she's also so isolated. And it's yeah. again it's different from from the way it, it rolls out with Holly and I think part of it is you know she talks about her teammates but they're never a part of the narrative. And it's mm-hmm. not, it's no surprise to me that it's her aunt and her cousin, these two women, right? Two other succubi who come to essentially like not only like literally save her life, but to give her a set of options where she's not just like going to be a monster. And yeah. that, right, yeah. that's important. I think it's, and, it, and again, it like really harkens back to this whole like the gender identity thing, which of course, because it's a succubus and incubus, I think that's really like coded in but i it needed to be women who appeared and said no don't listen to this patriarchal story about who you are it's not that way i'm so glad you said that because that has really clarified for me like so much of what's happening to chloe i mean this book was written you know six years ago but we see it now where women's sexuality is defined for them by men And Mm -hmm. usually that definition is monstrous. Like usually it is a monstrous sexuality. So either you are frigid or you're a slut and there's like no in between. And, and the counter to that I think is, is having people who have recontextualized their sexuality, like they've integrated their sexuality into who they are without that noise, or they've pushed past it, like help you, through it like community helps you at its best that's what romance itself is doing right yeah exactly yeah yeah i love that it's an agent of change um so i just wanted to say sarah you had said when we had talked about this earlier um you had made this really interesting and beautiful comparison uh from chloe's physical scars to mcreeve's Mm -hmm. internal scars so like this idea that you are you're like the, the, the it's part of you it's part of your well, it's journey a, it's that identity period that identity piece of like the scars are essential without them who are you yeah right and i think that's what they're both asking themselves in and an interesting it, it's in an interesting dichotomy because chloe is saying who am i without my scars i'm a monster now yeah yeah and mcgreeve is saying who am i without my scars i'm a monster with them like yeah. i'm I'm a monster and how do I transcend that? Right. And it's a, um, it's really fascinating. And there, that moment at the end, you know, which I think in the, every time I've read this book, I think I've always kind of maybe kind of rolled, not rolled my eyes. That's too much, but sort of side, side eyed the kind of, oh, and of course he goes into the woods to burn down the cottage. right? Right. But of course he goes into the woods to burn down the cottage. I mean, that's, it's so essential to identity, to sort of restructuring himself, to breaking the bone and resetting it. Right, because in a way he's had his sexuality defined for him in like the way he was doing for Chloe, like it's happened to him. And it was that moment. It was that that everything that happened in that cottage has has cast his sexuality and himself in a certain mold. And so him 
burning it down is him literally taking control of the narrative that he's been holding on to for 900 years. Well, I also think like this is something we see in contemporaries all the time, right? Like you go to the fucking gym and beat the shit out of a punching bag or you go for a run or right in a historical like you go fencing or whatever. And so I think the idea that like especially especially for like in the like the patriarchy like to it's there's like a physical need to like work like right your emotional state is sort of like the way you're gonna get to it is by some sort of physical action and I think that like of course it has to be even bigger and more dramatic and over the top with an immortal he can't just punch a punching bag that's not gonna be enough right he's gotta burn literally the fucking thing down well can we talk about that whole scene the structure of that scene because He's off there, you know, on his journey. And Chloe's dying. Yeah. Right? In the in the other room. She's got the she's got the dick flu. Yeah. Like she <laughs> <laughs> she has been envenomed. And and one of the things that we love about this book is how <laughs> consent <The> is <laughs> it is. <laughs> That is, I don't think that could be the show title, but it should be the show title. There's BDE, Big Dick Energy, and then yeah. there's DFE, Dick Flu Energy. I don't even know. Like, what? Oh, man. Am I right? Am I You're right? right. You all, are. We've all been you there are. with the Dick Flu. And so... <laughs> And so one of the things that we had really loved about this book was how consent is built into the very fabric of the world. And so her being envenomed is really drilling deep into what what is consent? What does it mean? Like, does having resentful sex, like, is that damaging? Having uh, hateful Mm -hmm. sex or having... uh, what does he say? Like regretful but valiant sex. Yes. Like, <laughs> God, can you what imagine? What a fucking asshole! I know, but you know what? Don't do me any favors, Wolf. That scene's especially interesting because she's like, "I'm not sure we're ready for this," and he's like, "No, no, we're ready." But yeah, like regretful but valiant. Like, get out of my bed. Yeah. Gross. That's how I that's how I clean toilets, by the way. It's like <laughs> regretfully but valiantly I clean the toilet. <laughs> no, but what's really fascinating, so here he is, he's burned down the cottage, she's standing in the embers of it, and here comes Chloe, worried about him because yeah. limping because you know, she's so sick from dick flu. She's like she girls. can't even walk. Yeah. And there she is. And then suddenly it becomes clear. He recognizes it instantly, right? Like her, again, yeah. it's her pain is echo an echo of his pain. Like he can see that he, she's been poisoned. Yeah. And she has, I forget what it's called, but, you know, dick flu. <laughs> and so um, that's Inven- what, that's. Is, is it envenomed? Do they say she's been envenomed? It's dick flu. Come on. And dick yeah, I mean, it. that's, Everybody that's canon now. Torture Island, so... dick flu. Don't fight me. Don't even fight me about it. <laughs> so. Anyway, so she has this. So he then, of course, he's like, what do we do? And up here, here come the sorcerer, the um, succubi. Shit. What's she called? Here come the succubi to explain everything. And it does. It is a little info dumpy. But when they walk through that door into the Ubis realm, shit gets real. And I love it. I love it. I love that moment 
I love all the moments he's having. Like his, he has a pretty like. He's just we getting kind of, kicked in the face. He's over and just over again. oh, he's just getting it, and I love it when heroes have <laughs> he that moment. It. He deserved yeah. it, and I love it when alpha hole heroes have that traumatic dark dark night of the soul where it's just ripping them to shreds inside as they realize like he doesn't have the shortcut to where he sees like her memories you know like Lothair can see everything he's done to Ellie from her point of view but what he has to do is recontextualize it himself and he's Mm. doing it that whole time that recontextualization of seeing how awful he's been wrong because he's like I thought succubi were monsters and here I am seeing signs from the cider fair yeah there here are I so am. many kites. There are so many kites here. There's so many kites. The dick flu. Uh, <laughs> he's like, I should have been immunized, but no, I was a fool. Dick flu um, patient zero. Yes. Oh, and what's... Um, go ahead. There's one part where I think you're real bright. And that, and I'm going to say it. You're real. You were 100% right, Sarah. There's a part where... Put it on a shirt. I was like, yeah. But then I was right, too. I was right, too. Um, Wait, I didn't say that. I know when did didn't. I say you're that? Fine. Um... <laughs> It was implied. I think earlier today you said it. Um, no, here's the part, and I want to talk about it because I loved that we see it from her point of view because I think she really is choosing, right? She has to choose. Like, he has fucked me over time and time again. But when they say, when they say, right, um, you could have a consort fix your problem for you. Okay. Wait, I think we have to be clear because I do know that we have we have some listeners who do not listen, who do not read the books, but do listen to the podcast. So, (laughs) and I think this mind fuck that must be. I know you guys. I don't understand you at all, but I love you, and I'm gonna take a moment and just articulate what we're talking about here. So here we are in the Ubis realm where everybody has a kite, and plays lacrosse, and Chloe is sick, and the way that she gets better is by sperm from a not regretful but valiant person. Like a really, like, enthusiastically valiant person. Yeah. She needs that enthusiastic sperm uh, to heal. That's that's the solution. That is the cure for dick flu. And she... This is amazing. And she... um, And so there they are. And her aunt is like, well, I mean, there are plenty of dudes who would happily bone Well, her. and she said there are trained healers. They yeah. are, they would, they would love to you help her. You can't see Sierra's face right now, but she is like, I want to write these healers. Oh my gosh. Bad. You they have a PhD your... in, right? They have a PhD in like, I don't know. Dick what, therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And like. And Sarah has her, like, Christmas novella idea, and I want to write, like, the Christmas novella, but with, like, the Incubi, like, escorts. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> She's, like, delight. Her face is exactly what you all want her face to look like right now. But anyway, Jen, go back to why I'm right. Okay. <laughs> I was like, and then I'm going to go to why you were wrong. So your original contention in this scene was that the whole scene should have been from McGreeve's point of view. But really, I think what you wanted from McGreeve's point of view is that moment. Because Chloe looks over and sees him essentially like flinch, right? So she, so she sees him flinch. Because imagine, imagine the alpha werewolf hearing, well, you obviously can't get it done. So your mate, your fated mate is yes. going to get boned by a bunch of other people. Yes. And and what, what I wanted she that thinks, scene so badly. Yeah, right. 
Because we don't know what he thinks at that moment. We know from her she can tell he's like, no fucking way. But what we don't know is would he would he have would he have done it at some point, right? Like and I I say no. He would have been like, die. But and I will no, die with I, you. That would have in a Sierra in a Sierra book, he would have said yes. Yes. Well, in a Sierra like, book. Because yeah. you're better and on a higher plane than McQueen, <laughs> for sure. I, <laughs> no. I do think that he would have eventually said yes. But I do love Sarah had uh, described, or I can't, maybe it was you, No, it was Jen. It was Jen. His initial reaction is just like static. Oh, yeah. Like, like it, the TV. It can't be. He couldn't have been his point of view because it just would have been like wingdings on the page or something. Like there wouldn't have been any words. It just would have been like static. Yes, right. Yeah. Like just complete like freak out, right? Like, and then you'd get the like the little rebooting. <laughs> your Rainbow podcast wheel. service will be Rainbow back in wheel. 349 minutes please do not call customer service and then like the progress bar is just stalled out at like 3% that's McGreeve's whole brain right there right shit <laughs> that's why that's why it's not in his POV yeah. I feel like we've cracked it <laughs> Oh, but it, it, yes. Because, I mean, I because would've... Chloe in that moment, Chloe looks over and is like, "I'm sure his instinct is rejecting this." And I yeah. was like, "Yeah, it fucking is." Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. No, I mean, absolutely. And so that's the part. I think the reason it has to be that scene has to be in her point of view is because it's her aunt, it's her, it's her cousin, it's her realm. And it's, then it's her decision. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah, the yeah. thing about this entire book is nothing has ever been her decision. Her father right. is like, whoops, here, read this fucking book, which is my kind of parenting style, but Mine I'm not too. saying it's a good thing, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, and then she gets, she you know, and then McGreeve wishes for her to become immortal. And then mm-hmm. it's like a blowjob. She doesn't know what's going on. And all of a sudden he's like, you're a succubus. And then it's like, he's going to, you know, I'm going to take you to my fucking secret home in Scotland and then I'm going to burn down the house and I'm going to, right? So this, she, it, it, a Cressley Cole book for a heroine to not be the ultimate decider, I think would be a total failure of a book. Yeah. I think you're, you're absolutely right. I also think Cressley is. See, I mean, you can say that again. It's okay. I'm <laughs> <laughs> putting it on a shirt. <laughs> um. But I also think Chloe is, I love how strong she is. Chloe is so badass in a way that none, she, uh, when you look at the other humans that have been on the page, right? So there's um, Holly, who's not a badass at all. Like, it takes her the whole book to get to a place where she's strong enough, right? You have Ellie, who, who has no choice. And she's just really stubborn. It's like a different profile. Yeah. But you know, she does that thing with the rubber band on her wrist. Like she's just constantly like, well, it's it's just it's, it this is how it is. Yeah. Yeah. Chloe is like, "Fuck you. I'm rubbing dirt on it." Yeah. We're just like yeah. this is the li- this is my life now. Yeah. She, and it it, ha- it has to be like that because there's no other uh he couldn't be with Holly. Like it couldn't be Holly and McGreeve, no. right? Like no. No and it couldn't be Ellie and McGreeve. No. Cuz Ellie would have slit his fucking throat. <laughs> right well and one of the things i love is that 
she is a succubus. She doesn't have a lot of the tools that like the Valkyries have, right? It's so, like a Valkyrie could just like shriek and then like knock down Connell Keep just with their voice. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as a succubus, she doesn't have that. All she has is her bedrock belief that she is a good person and that she deserves better. And so mm-hmm. all she has is kind of the same thing that we have in 2019, which is what we know about ourselves and our voice. And mm-hmm. so there's that great scene where she's like, you could keep me in this castle for 700 years. And the minute your back is turned, I I'm will out of here. Like, yeah. basically, I will never stop. It's sort of that, like, nevertheless, she persisted. She's like, I'm telling you, I will persist and I will eventually be free. You will never, you will never hold me and he knows it too and he loves it he loves it about there's that scene that my my favorite scene in this book might be the scene where they go running together and like there and he and they run you know through all through the sort of locks and they end up climbing a mountain and then she she just He's like, you're too, you won't be able to jump off this cliff. It's too high. You're, you won't be able to do it. And she's like, fuck you. I'll see you on the way down. And she takes off her bra and she shoots it into his head and then jumps <laughs> off the cliff. Yep. And it's so awesome. Yeah. yeah. And and you have this moment where you're like, McGreeve, you're an idiot. You're an idiot for not noticing. Yeah. That, like you have it all. And that's why I love all those werewolf cubs. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the thing that's interesting, too, though, is it's like the flip side then of the like him being a real dick about the fated mates thing is this thing Monroe says, right, which is fate is our faith. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just like a really interesting way of like framing that because it's not just like raw arrogance, I think, that his assumption that she'll forgive him, but that if you really believe in fate, like profoundly then it, you also have to believe that it will work out right like there there's no way around it right like it's this this tie is so strong and yet we see him really fighting that and she doesn't yeah. know what it means no, but right, it's interesting care. that when she gets to choose and when he knows that succubus succubi also have like a faded mate that then he realizes like it's interesting that's the thing that scares him into realizing that actually there are always choices. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and and then Cressley uses story language to sort of reinforce the fate as faith thing, where then she has that moment where he realizes that everything in his past has kind of domino affected to the present. And so if he hadn't undergone his past, he, he wouldn't have the same present with Chloe and so that fate has actually been there kind of all along. There yeah. was only one set of footprints in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Nick carrying him. It was Nick's. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that she's really using, you know, story language, like story tools, sort of like mythological tools to kind of underscore this fate as faith. But then at the same time, reinforcing this, there's always choices, right? Like there is, there is no guarantee yeah. Because sure. if even if, you know, if there was a guarantee, he could have treated her terribly, you know, when they were when he was like, she's my fated mate, so she'll have to forgive it because there there is this guarantee. But there's not. She would never have loved him if he hadn't actually changed and made choices. She, they, she could have been his fated mate and just walked away for a thousand years. Yeah. 
I mean, and that's just that. Like, for an immortal, time is irrelevant. Yeah. Right? Um, I also, but can we talk about sex? Because I feel like we've talked about all the, like, not great sex in the book. But, like, <laughs> that sex scene? Holy oh, yes. bananas. Well, and so I think it's, I love that, you know, there's so many, we have these werewolf stories where our climactic sex scene is letting the beast out, you know, like letting you the just beast. know, you know, what's coming. <laughs> and then Gareth is going to lose his witch bracelet and <laughs> chase her through a jungle. That's right. And he's going <laughs> to pin her and he's going to bite her and you're going to like it. And, <laughs> but, but here our climactic sex scene is McGreeve having to restrain his yeah. beast. It's him having to have complete control and almost love delicacy. And there's something so poignant and beautiful about that being the moment for a werewolf hero. I love it. Oh, it's so perfect. It really is And then perfect. once it's done and she's been cured of dick flu, then... <laughs> oh, they, they break just, the bed. Like, they yeah. break the fucking castle. They almost break the castle. It's amazing. I love it when her like her cousin leaves a note on the door that's like, "Well, the castle was a rockin', so I don't come a knockin'." Like, <laughs> hope you there was the a sock affair. on the door, not practically. <laughs> My goodness. Well, and what's amazing is that he's so un- he's unlocked. Like he also yeah. has had like his own dick flu all for his whole life, and now the succubus, like love with his succubus, with his faded mate, yeah, has healed him i mean in a really like physical way like yeah. suddenly he feels 10 times stronger than he has well ever and has. part of that is because as a succubus's fated mate is strengthened by sex with the succubus yeah. so like the fact that they're together like she strength strengthens him so it's almost like you thought the dynamic was she was gonna feed off him forever but actually the dynamic is they feed and strengthen each other which is a just much like more, everyone else. Yeah, which yeah. is like moving towards equality, right? Like now they can start as equals. They're happily ever after. Well, and I think it's really interesting because this is the first one where sex all I mean, it's not the first one where the heroines have had sex and enjoyed sex, but it's the first one where the heroine's identity is sort of wrapped up in mm, sex. Mm-hmm. And um, she has to come to it. But once she does, it's so awesome. And it, yes. it just feels so modern. It feels like. Cressley upended once again she took the whole the whole archetype and just flipped it onto its head and like set it down again well and we talked about this last week when we talked about sports romances it doesn't surprise me that she's an athlete because I think it's really a nod to the idea that like someone who is that in touch with their body and what it could do could if they're unlocked right be like have their sexual identity like serve a similar function where they're really tuned into that because they're so tuned into their physical self in a way that Mm -hmm. a lot of regular people are not I mean I I I don't say that because I don't feel my body but because I'm not an athlete I don't know Mm -hmm. what I can do in that same way right uh should we talk about Monroe it's coming Uh, and it's so we've been waiting for Fuck I know, Monroe. Like, I'm so fucking oh. mad at Monroe. I'm fine. Oh boy. Oh boy. You know, somebody tweeted at us earlier today. I wish you guys would have more rants. I feel like we're ready. Here it is. Here it is. <laughs> Give it to us, Jen. Why are you mad at Monroe? <laughs> All right. Well, so remember my whole thing about like this is a book that really pushed a lot of buttons with me about like faded mates in the patriarchy. Like, okay, so first of all, this 
creepy man finds Monroe's faded mate somewhere in time and space and brings him back just to fuck with him, right? And somehow when Nix is all playing with the future, I'm like, mm, that's cute. This guy is doing it for a different purpose, right? It's not to help Monroe, it's to trap him. And I just feel like this is such a manly thing to do too, right? Like in the patriarchy, like to use like a, your love for something against you rather than it seeing it as a, a way to strengthen you. Okay, so so far you're just pissed at what Everything. Presley wants you to be pissed at. Fine. But then I would like to talk about Monroe. So achievement like, unlocked, Turning Presley. this fucking woman who wants nothing to do with it. She was literally like, let me die. Right? And this motherfucker who just has smelled her is like, no. I am not only, on the based on my fucking olfactory senses, I have determined that your culture means nothing. Right? Your possible future as a, like a person in the world means nothing. Because once you turn a human into a Lyke, they're all fucked up forever. Yeah, they're probably not going to live. Right? You're, I could kill you anyway. And then I've gone against your wishes. But like somehow, because my nose smelled something I liked, it's totally fucking fine. <laughs> like, I feel like this whole sense of like your, that joke about your nose and your penis is so real right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do not let the Lyke into the Yankee Candle store. Like, God, I, they'd be confused for hours. But I just, I was really. What would your faded maid smell like? <laughs> fucking sperm and big dick energy. But I just was so, I, yeah, I was, ve- I know, exactly, put it away, go take a fucking bath. I was just really mad. I was really mad, you guys. I'm sorry. Okay. Mad. Okay. 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 Well, what I can tell everybody, so what we know <laughs> is that Monroe is coming. We have a release date of the end of May from Cressley. I hope it's a thousand years into the fucking future. And this like a girl has been eluding him for this long. And he's just like wasted away and been living on peanut butter sandwiches and watching porn in his basement, (laughs) looking for her. And just like, I have done wrong. Will you stop describing my Friday nights? All right. Like... (laughs) I I seriously I can only hope he is miserable. I want him to have been miserable for fucking years. Okay, but All real right. real talk, I will say I think it's actually possible you might get your wish because of the Dacian book with the demon and the vampire, the gay Dacian book. Um they there is a part where the demon goes into a realm where like time passes so much faster. And we know mm. that their story was kind of tangled up in the warlocks, right? So, like, there's mm-hmm. a possibility that we could get a big passage of time. Good. Well, what I- we can say is that uh, Cressley did an interview with Gina Showalter on the Wicked Wallflower podcast, which we will link to in show notes. Um, but when she was on that podcast, it came up that I really like a broken hero, like really, really, really like a broken hero. And Cressley said out loud on that podcast, McLean is going to be happy. Yay! Because Good. Me too. I've been putting Monroe through the ringer. Good. So, he deserves it. He deserves it. And that's what? that's what will make it fun, Jen. I know. That's what fine. makes it fun. <laughs> You're supposed I, to hate him, man. Yeah. Uh, also, well, here's the thing. Mission accomplished. He is so perfect in this book yeah like the moment another really favorite moment of mine in this book is when monroe looks finally after a thousand fucking years 
looks at McCreeve and says, you owe me a sister. Yeah. Like, don't oh, fuck yeah. this up. I oh. know. You're oh. the reason why I don't have a sister. And Monroe, like, buys all of Chloe's clothes yeah. and, like, you know, handles her and, like, takes care of her and shows her everything. And, like, he sends his sister on her. Yeah. And he's, like, the perfect beta. Yeah. He really is. And, like, he can't be – Cressley Cole has never been a fucking beta in her life. No. I would remind everyone that <laughs> – at some point, what was someone, a book where you were trying someone, to make somebody a beta, wait, and I was like, "Yeah." On, on Twitter, someone was like, "Does anybody have any really good like beta paranormal recommendations?" And I was like, "Oh, Conrad Roth." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Tap tap on the mic." <laughs> <laughs> McLean needs to call Comcast customer support again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, IAD has ruined me yeah. for everything. All right. I mean, I will say Conrad Roth is about as beta as I know. Uh, Sierra yeah. Simone gets, too. <laughs> it's true. It's true, true story. <laughs> true story. Uh, fine. Okay, wait. There's two other things I want to talk about. We should do the lost limb count, even though it is my contention. Now, we sort of skipped over Shadow's claim and we'll come back to it. And there was a real big moment of like beheading as a as a Has romantic it gesture. In yes. Times? Well, Shadow's claim has already been published. Yeah, Shadow's claim was in between Lothair and this book. All right. So we just made We're doing a the Dacians at the end. Yeah. Right. So, but it's interesting in this book. There's very little. I mean, at the beginning when Chloe is essentially being auctioned off, she dislocates her shoulder and she gets stabbed. Um, and then there's like the healing of her scars, but it's not like she gets new ones. And from my memory, and I'm happy to be corrected, I don't think that, I mean, you know, Lothair's fucked up broken heart or whatever, but, you know, I don't think he suffers any like grievous injuries. And it's, and I think in some ways that makes sense because for two reasons. One is Lothair really is in, in many ways the pinnacle of the lost limb count, right? He, like, takes out his own heart, and it's going to be real hard to top that. But two, in a book that is all about emotional struggle, a bunch of, like, fucked up, like, physical things being ripped off doesn't really make as much sense. Right. That's no. my two cents. But I I want to put Chloe's hair on this list because she cuts her hair off. Over and over again. Yeah. Chloe's hair. Multiple yeah. times. And it's, on, and it's important, I think, that she does. Yeah. It's- yeah. Every morning she does. I want to give a shout out to my girl Loa. Oh yeah, who is in this Loa. book and important and amazing. Loa and her boa. <laughs> Loa and boa. Oh, yeah, she was amazing. And I love that the snake comes out and McGreeve is all is like fucking Indiana Jones. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> snake, snake. motherfucking plane. <laughs> and Loa's like, snakes keep death away. <laughs> You're like, and I'm okay. like, what? Where is this mythology? <laughs> Amazing. I love Loa. She's my fave. The return of Webb. I Oh, who cares? I didn't really love. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I just really, really wish she could go back and have McGreeve like rip his head off and we could just be done with that. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? I'm not sure. Like, I feel like now we're at some point Nick said like, oh, Webb is going to be important to the accession. No, she said he has a role to play with the bringers of doom. Oh, with Morior. So she attaches him to the Morior, and then when oh. he comes back and talks to Chloe, he basically says, like, the Morior are coming, yeah. and it's like, yeah, we have to... Yeah, but there's... We know by now, I mean, 
people who haven't read the series, listeners who are still not reading the series, um, the Mori are, are not terrible people. I mean, we're about to fall in love with two of them. So. But they could totally kill him really fast. Like, so here's yeah. my, here's yeah. the role he can play. Like, you know, in like, uh, like Shakespeare in Love, when like Queen Elizabeth is walking over a puddle and someone like rushes yeah. up and throws it out of their cape. Yes. I am going to suggest that Webb would be a good cape. For like a Ryan yeah. who's just yes. gonna walk over him and be like, yes. and then problem solved. <laughs> he's like the, he's like the Gary Oldman in the Fifth Element, where like he thinks he's really important, but he's just like a total pawn. Yeah, Perfect. that'd be like good. A giant asteroid. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I don't think anybody cares about Webb. No, and that's partially that's because Cressley. I don't think Cressley cares about him very no. much either. Like I think he is like the fucking uh, Thane's key or. Keys, well, right? and maybe that's why she didn't want to have like a beheading is because she didn't want to throw away the chance yeah. to do more because he has transformed himself into some kind of uber immortal mothman. Mothman. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I envision him. Yeah, me too. He has he's thinking he has all those immortal strengths, but my guess is he has all those weaknesses too, right? That well, he can't even talk without cutting up his mouth with his teeth. Yeah. Figure out language. Be a puddle. <laughs> yeah. No, Fine. he's over. Yeah, no one cares. No one cares. And also no one I don't think I like I said I I think I think he's an object more than a person. Agreed. Yeah, he agreed. always has been because uh Cressley is not bad at her job and so she if she if she wanted us to care about him, she would have made us care about him. Agreed. I agree. Yeah, I Good agree. Point. Uh, Nyx is not really in this book, aside from at the very beginning when she says, we need to reset your bones. Um, and she is somewhere. And then there's a phone call at some point where she and Regan and Mariketta? No, and Caro are collecting lore orphans. So that's a weird thing. That I, I guess ca- there's another, another fan fiction, right? Like, who's yeah, teaching like, those motherfucking kids? <laughs> I would like the fanfic of the car with filled with lore orphans and those three weirdos. Um, anything else? I feel like like we don't have Lothair watch anymore. Like, what do we have? Like, is it like Lothair's not in this book? He's not in this book. But no one's in this book really because the the lens is so yeah. small. Yeah. yeah, this is a really uh, yeah. zoomed in book. Yeah. Um. But next book is well next. Next week we're doing the professional, or two weeks from now we're doing the professional, right? Is that yes. right? We're starting yeah. so the game makers series, and I don't know if we like really decided or explained our logic. So maybe I can just do it really fast. We we looked at her whole like publishing schedule and and sort of thought back like neither of us read it when it was still like like I think we both read it after Sweet Ruin or Wicked Abyss where we could just like whoosh eighteen at once. And I, I, so it's interesting to me, I think to both of us to like sort of actually talk about these books in the way that she published them. And so there's this like in the next, you know, sort of series, it's like she wrote this one and then The Professional and then it's a Dark Sky and then it's The Master. And so we thought it would be interesting to sort of like replicate that in our podcast because IED readers were like super waiting for those books. And I, by the way, this is really funny, had only been reading the Game Maker series and was really excited for whatever's book number three. The player. The player. player. And I was like, what else is she doing? Hilariously also, I read some sort of article with her where 
someone asked her like the difference and she was like, well, you know, the game maker series is like far sexier. And I thought that meant that like a mortar after dark was like closed door. <laughs> and then I read the first one and I was like, Oh my uh, sweet summer child. Yes. <laughs> the Cressley scale is like for sexiness is clearly. Whew. Yeah. So that's yeah, funny. When a, a hunger like no other first chapter is that is Darcy and Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, chewing off your own leg to chase your fated mate. That's like that's, that's like making play. macaroni and cheese and yeah, having a hot dog. Right. Yeah. Fine. Um, okay, so the if you want to see the full list, you can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. We are at Fatemates on Twitter. We are at Fatemates Pod on Instagram, and we've posted on both places. Yeah. And maybe uh, after this comes out, this will be pinned for a couple days, and then we'll pin the reading order um, on Twitter. So you can see um, the order. You can keep up with us. We're going to do our best, um, at least in these episodes, to tell you what is coming in two weeks. And so in two weeks, it will be The Professional, followed by Dark Sky in four weeks. Um, and what else? Um, Sierra, tell everyone where they can find you. Okay, so you can find me on uh, my website, thesierrasimone.com. You can also find me on Facebook as Sierra Simone and on Instagram as the Sierra Simone. I have a Twitter.com, but I do not <laughs> go to Twitter.com very often. So I it's mean, it's just good sense. Yeah, yeah you <laughs> you could find me there, but uh, and and friend me, but I don't. Is that what it's called? Friend or follow? Follow. attach sure connect. whatever sure yeah you can you can con- nag <laughs> nag you can conjoin right. with my twitter you can be Bully. in my minchies on my social meds um uh but in general i'm mostly on instagram uh or facebook i'm i'm hard to find i'm sorry and tell everyone what they can read of yours right now yes. so um my latest standalone contemporary is a book called misadventures of a curvy girl and it it's so is... good. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And I also, love it. it's in our. It's uh. It's featured in our upcoming small town interstitial. So, I I just I feel like I have this theory that like Sarah is kind of like wedging me into these like traditionally very um I don't know mild spaces. So it's like here's your Sierra Simone version of small town. Here's your you Sierra Simone though? version of inspirational. <laughs> Our small town episode is actually going to be like fucking 100. I'm so excited about it. Yeah. Because I'm going to talk about Elia Winters, who Ooh. I think is working some fucking magic and erotic romance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so like you guys have said, it's a small Debbie town May romance. Comer. Debbie May Comer. Um <laughs> Shame on you both. <laughs> I'll see you in hell. Okay. <laughs> I mean, obviously fine. Um, and it is, uh, but it is a menage. Um, it's about um, an ex-soldier and a Kansas farmer and a, um, and a, and a fat city girl who is, she works in social media and she's in the Kansas countryside to kind of do like a publicity uh, program thing. So uh, and it's so wonderful. Oh, I'm you're not so talking good. about it, right? I'm going to talk about it. I know. It's I was so... kind of like, let Sarah do it for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm going to do it. Um, but but it is so beautiful because it harnesses all that kind of like perfect small town world where like the everybody is just like authentic and wholesome, but then also two hot dudes and this stunning girl who's like 
figuring her shit out. And it's so awesome and Ugh. so hot. It's and so hot. And then there's there's like this scene in a barn, you guys. You guys, the Oof. barn. The fucking barn. <laughs> the barn. And there's this scene in a barn that literally there's never been a small town barn scene that looks like this is a barn burner. I think that's what a barn burner actually is, right? That's what it means. That's it what is. it means. I'm yeah. from I'm from New York City. That sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. I yeah. Yeah, yeah. A barn um, a no, barn chaser. Yeah. But so, that's not the only thing. Don't talk anymore about that. We're going to talk about it on Small Town. And then you and we'll sell a bunch of books on Small Town. And then, but t- tell everybody about A Lesson in Thorns. Okay, so my latest uh, release, which is, um, it's everything Jen doesn't like because it's a cliffhanger and it's in first person. So it is the first in a series and it is Jen, a- you're such an asshole. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I'm all like, uh, by the way, the first person is not the deal breaker. It's the cliffhanger. I just need you to report back to me when all the cliffs have been hung. I'll let you know. And then I'll, yes. and then I'll read it. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to make you like, a movie poster for like the Sylvester Stallone cliffhanger but I'm gonna like photoshop your face like <laughs> yes and I'll just be like <laughs> hanging from the cliff no um, no no um so it is uh it's a contemporary romance but it is set in a crumbling old manor house in the wild moors of England um and this librarian is returning to go work in this library this private library um but this also happens to be the house where her mother was last seen 12 years ago and there is uh, there's very rich, disaffected, aristocratic boys who like brood at the rain. And uh... I do love brooding, though. <laughs> and, if you uh, love a Bronte sister and you wish that there was more sex in it. This is definitely Bronte-esque, but like, you know, with like some pagan sex rituals, it's fine. So um, well, that's what Charlotte would have liked to put in there. Yeah. If Charlotte, if Charlotte had known about pagan sex rituals... She would have been there. I mean, she was banging a married Swiss professor. So I feel like she would have been there. Um, so the next book will be Feast of Sparks, and that'll come out in June. Yay! Yay. Wait, is there a third book? There, there'll be, there'll, there's a third and a fourth. Oh, <laughs> four of them. I know. You don't have to read. It's okay. I'll write you another standalone. It's okay. <laughs> I do really want to read the standalone about the professor, the misadventures with a professor. Oh, yes. It's very uh, spanky and fun. It is. Oh, my God. Um, I love a I love a professor book, too. Yeah. I, professors are my jam. I like um, that misadventures no, with a series. Those are good. To, yeah. To those of you who are um, who have never read a Sierra Simone book, what I can say is that she is one of my very favorite writers in the whole world. The stop, reason why she is now it. my friend is because I literally stalked her into being my friend <laughs> by sending her email after I read Priest and saying, who are you? Because this is so good and we have to know each other. You know what I just learned today because I was not on Twitter.com was someone said, um, oh, your identity is very mysterious, right? And I was like, oh, I, I guess. Maybe it was mysterious. She's like, yeah, I remember Sarah McLean got on Twitter and said, who is this person? <laughs> Does anyone know who she is? <laughs> it's because I was certain that you were like a well-known romance novelist who was now taking on a new identity, a gnome de plume to write hot 
priest sex and no one could blame you for that but i was right. like for sure this is a person who has written romance novels because you hit every beat perfectly you are such a brilliant writer you know i tell you this to your stop, face all the time stop it but so all of that is to say that even if you don't love a cliffhanger like jen and i I mean, not like Jen. Nobody nobody hates a cliffhanger like Jen. Oh, you are a fat liar. You hate them just as much as me. I but do. Sarah's your friend, but so can't, you're being a, like a little nicer I to her right now. I only <laughs> read them when they are written by Sierra Simone. Okay. Um, I can, ex- uh, I can accept otherwise, that. Otherwise, I get very angry when I get to the end of a book and discover that they're a cliffhanger. So. Oh, a surprise that. cliffhanger is bad news. Oh, yeah. surprise cliffhangers are the worst. Anyway, so that is all that. Um everyone thank you so much this was a long episode we hope you loved it we loved it um and i mean i'm pretty sure eric's gonna cut it down by a solid 15 minutes just by taking out the cackling well i think he'll just put i would like a super cut of cackling after the end the end music um anyway this is faded mates don't forget to like and subscribe if you have it in you to uh, give us some stars, to give us a good rating <laughs> after the sheer level of like atrocity we've committed today. <laughs> you know what? It's never as bad as vomit sex trademark. So I think we did just fine. I think we did a good job. We did a good job. It's fine. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.